We indeed serve Lord of all, our God, our Creator, our loving Father, and we're thankful for the Savior, for the Son, for the redemption that comes through His blood. Invite you to open your Bibles, if you'd like to, to the Old Testament book of Exodus. We recently completed a study of the book of Exodus, and I want us to focus in on one of the songs that transpire, a song of praise and one that reminds us of what happened in those days years ago, and then on the travel from Mara to Elam. Glad you're here tonight. Encourage you to take a Bible to follow along. We'll be spending a fair amount of time in the Old Testament tonight as we look at this particular text and some other various passages that help us understand what it means to live life with a lot of difficulties around us, as Brother Allen has already pointed out. Glad you're here. We have visitors with us. We have some members who have been here for only maybe a few months and are still getting to know the others, and we're glad to have you here. And we're all glad to be a family that is joined together, knitted together in love for the purpose of worshiping our God. I invite you to always listen to both the morning and the evening sermons. And it's possible that you're here this evening and you are unable to be here this morning. And you missed a sermon this morning that you need to listen to. And there are lots of ways to do so. We have our website, godsredeemed.org, which is a great resource. And for those that are in the parking lot or those that are online streaming, uh, you already know about that particular website. The other thing that you may or may not know about is we have podcasts. So you can podcast, whatever that means, your favorite sermon. You can go through and pick out by title, by speaker, and you can go to, I think you can go to your Apple Store and all those other kind of places and just type in Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, and it should pop up. Now I'm talking about things I have no idea about. So talk to David Creech or someone that really understands what's happening when it comes to technology. But we were having this discussion a week or so ago that we didn't know we had podcasting uh, here at Northfield Boulevard. Well, we do. And this morning's sermon was really, really good. Uh, on a subject that needed to be talked about, and David just did a, a really good job of talking about some tough subjects. We're turning our attention tonight to Exodus chapter 15, and we're really focusing on verses 22 through the end of the chapter. But I want to go back and read the song of Miriam because it's, it's beautiful, it's powerful, even though it is brief. Um, and I've long wondered what these songs would have sounded like some 3,500, 4,000 years ago, whenever they were originally written. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, and then this brief song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, that may not make sense if you haven't read chapters 14 and 15, and it probably doesn't make much sense if you haven't read, read, read the preceding 12 to 13 chapters and gotten the, the whole story of Exodus. We'll come back and talk about that here in just a second or two. But go ahead and read with me in verses 22 through 27. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah... They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. So three different times the word Marah is used to refer to this place that would henceforth be known as Marah 
because of the condition of the water and of the people that were present there. Verse 24, the people complained against Moses, and they said, what shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and so they camped there by those many waters. And so the idea of going from Mara to Elam is from a place of, as Brother Allen already pointed out, that some of us experience where things are not real good and times are tough. Sometimes they're tough because of circumstances that have nothing to do with us, and sometimes it's because of choices that we have made that we find ourselves in difficult positions. To a place where there's plenty of water and palm trees and a place to rest in the shade in the otherwise arid desert. When we think about this particular text in Exodus chapter 15, there's a couple of things that we need to be reminded of, and I'm convinced that you are already familiar with these things, but in the event that you're not real familiar with the Exodus story, we know that in the first dozen chapters or so, it's all about God freeing Israel from Egyptian slavery And that chapter 14 is the famous parting of the Red Sea. And this is something that even people who are not familiar with the biblical story, the account, the things that happened so many years ago, may be familiar with because of Hollywood over the last 75 years or so. Israel then celebrates their deliverance with two particular songs. One of them we call the Song of Moses, which is the lengthier part of chapter 15. It's the first half of chapter 15, and then that brief song of Miriam that we read together tonight. The reason that I wanted us to focus and to pause on these six or seven verses from Mara to Elam is because Mara is going to be the first of many challenges for Israel after the Red Sea. Now you say, I know it's the first of many because there's a lot that come their way over the course of the next few chapters, and certainly there are. But I believe that what happened that day or in those days and those travels provides for us a lot of timeless lessons about life today. And some of them jump off the page. Some of them are not very difficult to find. And some are a little bit more challenging maybe to locate. There are probably a good 10 lessons that we could get just out of this text. Applications for our life today and things that we need to construct in our lives But let me suggest to you in our study together tonight just three timeless lessons about life. And I appreciate our brother picking these songs tonight that so nicely go with the study in which we are engaged. And the first of those lessons that I want us to appreciate is one that we would like to acknowledge to not be the truth, and that is there will be disappointments in life, which is why we depend on our Father as the rock of my heart. The fact is, God has never tried to trick us into believing that life on earth was easy. You know, from the very beginning, life was going to be somewhat filled with challenges because we were instructed to work. 
And then once Genesis 3 rolls around and you find that sin enters the picture, indeed things get much more difficult in the nature of our work and in the challenges that we face in this life. Because of sin, life would be difficult for everyone. You know, sometimes people will say, well, why is life so difficult for me? Or why are there so many challenges and so many diseases and ugly things in the world? And a lot of times you can answer that simply with three little letters, S-I-N. That because ugliness entered the world through our adversary that we talked about in our Bible class this morning, Satan, the devil, these things have transpired. But I would argue that if you want to make life extra easy, you should probably give strong pause and consideration to becoming a Christian. Because becoming a Christian means that the challenges are going to go up in nature. In fact, that seems to be what the Apostle Paul was writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecutions, he says. And so because we're Christians, the challenges in our life may be a little bit extra. We have to be ready for what I would call the ups and downs, the good and the bad. And Job, as we read from in Job chapter 7, talked about that in Job chapter 1, talked about it in Job 7, Job 8, and another, a number of other passages, that who am I to accept the good things that come from God, but not to accept the challenges that come from God? It's not buffet style where you can go and you can pick and choose what you want. I'll take all the good stuff, but I don't want all the bad. So I was in a conversation today with one of our visitors, and the point that he made was simply this. You have to have challenges in life in order to appreciate the better days and the difficult days and the blessings that God provides. I mean, if everything went splendidly all the time, we'd have no perspective with which to appreciate the fact that God is as great as he is. And we would not be as motivated as otherwise to think about heaven as being our home, which is the place that we're striving forward. So in chapter 15, verse 22, what happens here is they found no water. So the text just simply says they came to this place called Mara and they found no water. Now, that is a very serious affair for a people of this number and for a people that are located in this geographic place. You have millions of people, perhaps. Estimates are there are are growing millions of people by this point in a desert. That word wilderness there is the same word desert in certain translations. And I think the word desert may be a little more accurate because when I think about a wilderness, I think about nice pine trees and nice shaded areas. Well, this is a wilderness that is deserted. Therefore, it is a desert. And it is a place where water is not just something that you like to have, but it is absolutely necessary. And so they come to a place where it looks like things are going to get better. And in fact, verse 23, you can imagine maybe the first people getting to this place called Mars saying, we have found water. And maybe they ran and they stooped down to get a drink because they'd gone so long without water, only to realize that the water there was bitter water. Why is this found in the account of Exodus chapter 15? I'm convinced there's a lot of reasons why it's there. But one of those things is to refocus us on the rock of my heart, the, de- the dependency that we have on our Father, and to remind us that there will be disappointments in life. Given the fact that there are disappointments in life, we need to take things day by day. 
which is the second song that we sang tonight. By the way, that's the first time I have ever heard that song in my 42 years, and it was a wonderful song. I hope that we sing that more often, one, so that I can get more used to it, but the words of it were beautiful. The idea of day by day, God providing, it's a song that I was unfamiliar with, but I thought it was absolutely wonderful because it reminds us that even in spite of disappointments, we have to sometimes live in these day-tight compartments. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll run across someone who says, what am I going to do over the next few weeks when this happens? And the next month, this is going to happen. And the next year, I've got to deal with this particular challenge. And you just want to say, whoa, slow down here. And as Dale Carnegie once suggested, just live in those day-tight compartments. Just focus on the day. Before Dale Carnegie said it, someone else said something remarkably similar, I think. When Jesus said, just concern yourself with today, allow for today to transpire, and then you worry about the next day. You know, I sometimes drive windy crazy. Actually, rarely do I do that. But but there are times where I do, where she'll say, what are we going to do about this? And I don't want to worry about it because I don't want to fool with it or whatever the case may be. And I say, we may not even live till tomorrow. Why are we worrying about it? Christians often are individuals who ask, why is it that some people have more difficulties than others? Have you ever asked that question or pondered that? Maybe you don't ask it out loud. And all of us probably have thought that. And we have all encountered individuals who have wondered that particular thing. And why some people go through life swimmingly with no bumps in the road. Consider, if you would, the story of Job. Open back up to Job chapter 7. I I love Job 7. It's one of those areas of the book of Job that uh, sometimes we skip over. We're familiar with 1, 2, and 41, 42, (laughs) it seems, when it comes to the book of Job. But Job is, is a powerful book. It's this dialogue between Job and God and Job and his friends, although we might use the word friends there a little bit loosely from time to time. But in Job chapter 7, notice what happens here in verse 19. We won't read all the text. He says, How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my spittle or my saliva? And then he asks the question in verse 20. He says, I'm wondering why. Why has this happened to me? And and the this is all the things illustrated in the more familiar couple of chapters at the beginning of the book that you're probably familiar with. He says, have I sinned? Because my friends are telling me, you've done something awful wrong here, Job. That's why you're suffering the way you're suffering. He says, have I sinned? What have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? You know, it's one thing to be a burden to others, but Job says, I'm a burden to myself in using this language that is almost poetic in nature. And so his friends were guessing and trying to come up with all the reasons why there were disappointments in his life. But the point is, we won't be able to always explain, but the moral of the story is, is that we will be able to endure. Secondly, I want us to appreciate that when you look at the story of from Mara to Elam, we need to exercise caution when complaining. We need to exercise caution when complaining. How do I get that? Well, go back to Exodus chapter 15 and look at the text here. In chapter 15, verse 24, it says, The people complained 
against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, some versions may use the word murmur or grumble against Moses on this particular occasion. There are times when we need to complain. There are times when we need to say, this is not right, and this needs to be changed. Go back to last Sunday evening when David did a a, a reading of the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And in fact, he referenced some of these passages this morning in our study. That when sin transpires, when sin gets a hold of people that we care about, or even ourselves, it ought to get our attention. It ought to be something that we say, I want to talk about. And that's, that's not complaining in the sense that we're talking about in our study together tonight. Because it seems to me that it is clear that these complaints of Israel were not of this sort. The King James Version says they murmured. You know, you can't even say the word murmured without thinking negative thoughts. It just has a, it's just a, it's just a, a negative sounding word, murmured. They complained against Moses because, after all, it was Moses' fault that they were there, right? That's what some of them are beginning to think at this point. Remember, they soon are saying, take us back to Egypt, take us back to where the onions and the leeks, and at least there was water for us to drink. Granted, we were slaves and we complained about that. But the fact is, is here we have a situation where the complaint was against Moses And you have to read a little bit into the text, and maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but it seems to me that their complaint against Moses was one of a quick nature. Have you ever met someone who's quick to complain or quick to murmur? And some of you are thinking, hopefully not about your brethren, but you're thinking about coworkers that you've had or have. You're thinking about people in your school that you grew up with that were always complaining about the assignments. They were always complaining about the tasks, always complaining about homework, always complaining about something. What is it that happens when we complain? Let me suggest to you that there are a number of things that happen when we complain and when we murmur in this way. Let me suggest to you uh, very briefly a couple of things. First of all, When we complain, whether it be against our employers, whether it be against our shepherds, whether it be against a teacher that we have in school or a teacher that we have in Bible class, we are actually failing to help find a solution. It's no surprise that complaining is a whole lot easier than working to find a solution. Isn't that the truth? Because when I say, well, the problem is this, someone once said, if you're going to come to me as your supervisor with a problem, you better have at least two solutions to the problem. And that really stops you in your tracks and makes it so that you don't have very far to go. But the fact is, is we need to be people who say, I want to be careful about what I complain about because I don't know that I'd be able to do that much of a better job or be able to have a solution to it. Secondly, we discourage the good that others are trying to do. You know, there are so many people in the church, in our community, uh, in your workplaces that are trying to do good and trying to do things better and trying to improve on things. And we need to be those that encourage them and say, I appreciate your efforts. Now, sometimes constructive criticism is helpful. 
even to those of us that preach or teach or to those who, uh, who, who have subordinates under you in your workplace. Sometimes you like constructive criticism. You know, boss, I think we might be able to do this better. Work smarter, not harder kind of thing, right? You think about those kinds of things when you're on the job site. But let me also suggest, and hopefully you understand what I mean by this, and that is don't be the automatic no man. Do you know what the automatic no man is? The automatic no man is the person who says, well, I think we might consider doing, and before you even make the statement or the suggestion, no, we can't do that. Would you be able to, no, I haven't even asked you what it is yet. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, I didn't, and I didn't go all the way through it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all the way through it now. And that is, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's a Southern thing, it's a Tennessee thing, or a Northfield thing, but this is a church that is very good about not saying, would you be willing to, they'll just flat out say, go do this. I love it. Go give this person a ride. All right, I'll do it. This person needs help. I'll take care of it. And that's the attitude that we need to have. And I, I appreciate that. And I've had some conversations with, with some, especially acclimating to being a northerner, acclimating being to uh, the Mid-South, that that's hospitality. And that's the way that we are to treat one another. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm not going to be the no person. Because it's easier to say, no, I can't do that, than it is to say, yes, I can rearrange my schedule and can do that. Now, there are times where you can't, and I understand that. And sometimes people in the world will take advantage of you, and you have obligations to your family, to your workplace, to the Lord's church. But remember that can't never did anything. Can't is that word that we use that when we sometimes say, I'm, I won't. And there's a difference between can't and won't, right? In a few letters, there's a substantial difference between them. Let me suggest thirdly, that when we complain, we don't move forward, nor do we progress. Note the word that Moses used in writing Exodus 15, verse 24, when he used the word murmured. What does that word mean? We already highlighted that it's kind of a a negative-sounding word just in the way that it is pronounced in English. But what does the word literally mean? I thought, well, I'm going to look that up, and I want to sound smart when I say this, so... Uh, I looked it up, and the word literally means to stop, or to, I love the, the second word that is used here, or to be obstinate. So what does it mean to be obstinate? Don't say it means to murmur. But to, obst- to be obstinate is to be like, is, is to be this stubborn, I'm not going to, we're not going to, and we refuse to move forward. And that will be the death of an individual's spiritual welfare. That could be the death of a congregation of the Lord's people. That could be the death of a business. In fact, the Hebrew word that is used here is translated into lodge more often than it is to murmur. The idea here is of someone saying, I'm going to stand here and lodge here, or I'm going to lodge a log or another piece of wood in this place so that it does not move is the idea that is uh, constructed from the word. I would argue that it is very difficult to be a complainer and a forward-looking person because if you're complaining, you're thinking about things that have happened in the past, 
things that are either out of your control or things that are happening now rather than providing a solution. And let me say one more thing on this particular subject, that we need to exercise incredible caution when it comes to our shepherds. I think Hebrews chapter 13, both verse 7 and 17, seem to talk about that. That when we talk about those who have rule over us, we need to do so with the sense that we don't want them to be burdened. We don't want to provide them with obstinance. We want to give them the, the sense that I'm willing to serve and I'm willing to serve however you want me to serve. Now, that being said, we have shepherds who are ready for our suggestions. And we have shepherds who routinely will say to you, yes, come to me with your thoughts. Come to me with the things that are on your mind. We want to hear those things. And we certainly want to hear your concerns. And if there are ways that we can improve on things as a local congregation, we want to do so. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which is in some ways, uh, it seems to me a, a bit of a frightening verse. Let me just read the actual words rather than summarizing it. But in Hebrews 13 and in verse 17, the text says, Let those who rule do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so we need to exercise caution when complaining. That's what these people did thousands of years ago in complaining against Moses. And thirdly, let me suggest that we learn from this, as the song says from time to time, God will take care of you. God will take care of us. After all, he is our cornerstone. He is the one who is the chief, the one to whom we pledge our allegiance. You know, in many ways, you could summarize the Bible in a a number of different ways. But in many ways, the Bible is a record of how God provides care for men and women in spite of our doubts. And rather than it being a record of only the times when he provides for us when we deserve it, because that would be a very short volume, it's all the time that he provides care for us and provides assistance to us. And his doing so is in ways that oftentimes surprise us. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 15 what Moses did to the bitter waters? How did he make them well? What did he throw in there, right? Of course, he answers with a tree. Why did he do that? Let me suggest to you that first he did it because it was powerful. There is nothing special about that tree or about that piece of wood. God showed it to Moses as we read, and it immediately fixed the problem. God didn't say, put the tree in there, give it a good uh, three hours, and then check the pH levels. (laughs) No, immediately it provided for the salvation in a limited sense. I'm not using that word in a, in a spiritual sense for them. It immediately fixed the problem. And the other thing about it is the tree was unpredictable. No one would have predicted this. One wonders what they would have thought when Moses picked up the tree and cast it into the waters. I don't know what they thought. They must have, maybe they thought that Moses has lost his mind. Maybe they thought he's desperate. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's disappointed us. Maybe all of the above. But God will take care of us. Moses actually uses this occasion to preach what I would call a mini-sermon with two very timeless points. And that's verse 26 of chapter 15, which I want to reread one final time before we draw to a close. He says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, 
and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments. Keep all the statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So there are two timeless points here that are true in every sermon. Even if David and I never mention these particular things verbatim, obeying God is a necessity, is an absolute must. It is non-negotiable. We must obey God. That's key to every Bible class that we have. We're talking about the harmony of the Gospels because it teaches us about Jesus' life, which ultimately requires us to do what the Lord has asked us to do. We are studying in three days, Lord willing, starting a new study of the book of Judges, which is a book about the cycle of individuals who do what is right, fail, are then put into a difficult spot, cry out to God, and God rescues them so that they do well, so that they then sin, so that they then fear, so that, and it's just this cycle that goes on and on and on throughout the book of Judges. And I encourage you to be here Wednesday evening for that new study that we're going to engage in. But the bottom line is, is God will take care of us, but there are conditions that must be met. God will take care of us, but there are conditions that we must meet. And secondly, We need to appreciate that God is the healer. Moses was very careful to not take credit for the goodness of God. You know, those two lessons, obedience is necessary, God is the healer, are as timeless today as they have ever been before. They are true today. And you know, The thing that I, and I mentioned that at the early part of our study now as we draw to a close, there are certain things that you just jump out of the pages. This is one of them, and I'm not about to say that I'm the first who's ever said, look. But when you look at this, what made it possible was a tree. Now, this tree was a tree that God chose for this miraculous purpose, and the tree, of course, that God could use any means to accomplish his will The important thing to remember for us is that he always takes care of us. As you go from Mara to Elam, as you travel from point A to point B, you get from a place where the people were without to where the people are with. But God was with them the entire way. And that's what they seem to have forgotten in this process. And of course, the big application to close with for us is that no matter what place you are from Mara to Elam today, no matter where you are geographically, no matter where you are figuratively, no matter where you are spiritually, God is with you and God will take care of you if you do as he asks you to do. That is absolutely essential. You know, some in the world would teach and some religious people would teach, and David did a good job of talking about how Uh, denominations today have perverted the gospel and taken it to a new direction, would teach that God's going to be with you wherever you go. I don't know that that's true. God will be with you wherever you go as long as you serve him, as long as you do what he asks you to do. He will bless you. Now, that doesn't mean that life won't be difficult because our first point tonight was that there would be disappointments in life. But we're moving from Mara to Elam, and no matter where you are, God is ever present. He is there for you, he is there for me, and he wants to be there for you tonight. 
You know, we began our worship service this evening with a very good uh, petition to our Father in prayer, read from the powerful words of Job. And we have communicated in song about the rock of my heart and the cornerstone and the one who cares for us. Because, as Brother Allen said at the outset of our worship services this morning or this evening, there are so many who are going through so many things. I don't know where you are exactly on your road from Mara to Elam, but I know that there are difficulties for you, and I know that there are some challenges that you will face, but I know that God will take care of you. If you are here and you are not a child of God, you need to make that change, and you need to make it very quickly. And we're hoping that we can help you this evening to become a child of God by being baptized to have your sins washed away. That's not the doctrine of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. That's not something that we came up with. Our elders did not sit down and take a poll and say, what do we want to do? Do we want to include baptism or not? We just said, what does the scripture say? And the scripture said, you need to be baptized in order to be saved. Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 1 Peter 3.21, and a host of other passages. And the fact is, is your obedience in baptism based on your repentance of sins and your confession that Jesus is the Christ is necessary tonight. The vast majority of those who are present are already Christians. You're already saints. And you are to be commended for your faith. But sometimes, even we as believers do some complaining or doubt our God or aren't as obedient as we need to be. And so we need to make whatever changes that we can make. And if we can help you in that process... Privately or publicly, we'd be happy to do so. Let us know while we stand and while we sing. <laughs> 